So grant me, Father, opportunities to, um, to have divine appointments. Bless me with your spirit that we will glorify you here today. Make it make account for eternity. Mind if I join you? Hello? Mind if I join you on the walk? Sure. We're just on our way to Emmaus. Oh, good. Me too. So, what were you talking about that it, you were, as you were coming along? Well, you know, this last weekend, like... I'm not sure we should be even coming to these pilgrimage celebrations anymore. We call them festivals, but all that happens is the Romans just destroy our culture and attack us. And Like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, all of the crucifixions and then that earthquake. The earthquake. Yeah. Where were you? I must have been asleep. <laughs> it's the benefit of a clear conscience. Well, how did you not? I mean, even they crucified Jesus, the one that we thought would be the Messiah. He was a good man. Before God and men, he was a good man. Huh. Jesus, you remember the stories, the, the, all of the folklore about when he was born? Oh, yeah. They said even angels came and sang to the shepherds in Bethlehem. So what do you think that was about? I don't know. They're just shepherds. Oh, are they? What do they do? Well, you know, they, they raise the Passover lambs. They raise the sheep that will be used in our sacrifices. Hmm. And the Passover lambs are part of the sacrifice at Passover. Maybe there's a connection between his birth and the Passover. Maybe there's a connection with these shepherds. Hmm. Well, I don't know about all these pilgrimages. Maybe we should stop doing pilgrimages because then we won't be so all together and so vulnerable to be attacked by the Romans because we're just hope helpless. We have no hope when we come to Jerusalem. We're going to be attacked and some of us are going to be crucified. Like, well, like the next one, Pentecost. Hmm. Pentecost, that was the giving of the law that we remember it for, yeah. Huh. I don't think you're going to want to miss the next one. <laughs> It'll be a good one. Okay, but what about that Sukkot thing, you know? Maybe we could all just do it at home. Yeah, Maybe. Maybe, the festival of booths. But if you do it at home, 
you're not going to want to miss all the main points about Sukkot. Because Passover marks something that we remember from the past. And it is a great stage, in fact, for um, what God wanted to do. He can do all in everything good things for his people. In all things, he can do things. And maybe even Pentecost marks an event after this next one that is past. But we will want to celebrate them into the future, maybe forever. But Sukkot, that one will last for eternity, I'm sure. Sukkot. And all of you are saying, oh yeah, of course, Sukkot. And the honest ones in here are saying, what is Sukkot and why would that matter? Let me tell you. Sukkot is the festival of thanksgiving. It is a celebration. It is a, there are many different festivals that are embedded into it. In fact, I think there are six, maybe five. I've got the list here. I can't remember what's on it. But it's, the, it's called the Festival of Booze. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles. It's called the Festival of Tents. And inside this eight-day week that begins and ends on a Sabbath are other festivals that are part of it. And I actually think, now this is no one holy speaking, I think it will be a celebration that has no end. And by that I mean for eternity we will celebrate Sukkot. In fact, I will make the case, and I hope I convince you, that Sukkot will be a way of life for all of us, for all of eternity as we go forward. Sukkot is also the festival of ingathering. It's the uh, harvest. It's the first fruits. No, it's the final fruits, which has um, symbolic uh, reference to spiritual events. It's called the festival of the nations. And there's a list of celebrations or sacrifices to... Uh, to help, you might say, mark the redemption of all of the nations of the earth. That's interesting. There's the water drawing ceremony, which um, I think you would love to see. I know I would. I haven't ever. And then there's the uh, illumination ceremony. Now that's one, two, three, four, five. Until last night, uh, yesterday afternoon, I thought there were six, and I was wrong. It was, it's, it's one that I had buried, and it's, it's, it's part of another Thanksgiving festival. So, we've got these five festivals. Now, these Sukkot itself has been given to us for, I think, at least three purposes. And that's what we're going to look at. And then we're going to go back and, and dive into each of these different festivals to look at what it is and how that might relate to us, because some of us may think it's kind of Middle Eastern, kind of ancient, may not have a whole lot to do with the new world of smartphones and internet. I would like to argue the opposite, of course. First, man alive, Andrew, that is really hard to read back there. Maybe it's just my eyes. Protection. Sukkot, the festival of booze, is to mark the protection that God provided, this is the first and primary reason that this was given back in the days of Moses. So this goes all the way back to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in each of those books, 
there is a mention of this Festival of Booze. And the Festival of Booze or Festival of Tabernacles, you will find it now that you start watching for it. Um, you'll begin to see, oh yeah, here's this same festival, the same festival showing up throughout time. So it was to identify the fact that God protected the people of Israel for 40 years in the desert. Okay, and for that reason alone, it's kind of interesting to celebrate. Of course, that's looking backwards. Looking forward is the same reason. God provides protection for us, each one of us, as we walk through this. And Sukkot is our once-a-year opportunity to come together and celebrate this. And then there's, oops, there we go. There's perspective. Now, the Sukkot booth is intended to be an outdoor event. Um, so the, the walls are somewhat flimsy. The, the roof is open, so if it rains, you're going to get wet. You can certainly see through the branches to the, the stars. And it's a way of saying, I am now connecting back with the creator in his classroom. So with the creator. It's a full week. So those of us who like to go camping for a week, why not? We're good Albertans. We do Sukkot all the time. In fact, we may do more than one Sukkot a year, right? And then there's also the provision. In the wilderness, God provided water, right? He provided the Shekinah glory that led them in the daytime or at night, and then the cloud that led them in the day. And um, he provided them with a law, which was also the form of light. So there was the fire. And then there is the harvest where he provided for them. At the time, it was just manna and quails, quails that they could not count, and manna that came every day. And this was all a symbol of God providing for them. And God has continued to provide for us, hasn't he? As we look at our own lives, we can celebrate the ways that God has provided for us, whether it's with jobs or with openings, with opportunities. These are all parts of his way of providing for us. But the key is for us to re rely on God daily. You see, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God was revealing himself to them because they had forgotten the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They had been four centuries in Egypt. And as they came out of there, they weren't even sure who this God was. Moses, they knew he was a bad guy. He killed people. And yet God was using Moses to lead them. And on it went. And through all these different ways, God was showing who he was. And so Sukkot is the marker of this whole remembrance. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Booths, tabernacles, or tents. Still today, this is modern-day Israel, many Jewish people in their backyard will build a sukkah. That's the tent. And you can see that it's got uh, sort of a branchy open roof, and then they eat in there, and they will often sleep in there. So for the week, they, some of them, the most devout of them, will sleep in the sukkah, and they will eat all of their meals in the sukkah, in the tent. Others will do only one meal a day. Others will only sleep there, and so on. But it's quite interesting to look at modern-day Israel and begin to see these booths. Look at them on the side of these buildings. Isn't that hilarious? I think that's just quite entertaining. So you got a balcony on your apartment? Build a sukkah. And you might look weird to your neighbors unless all of them are doing it too. And then if you don't have one, you might look a little weird. 
But look at those booths in modern-day Israel. And then for those of you who are a little short on time, um, you can order one up on a bike and they'll deliver it to your yard. And that kind of shows you how this thing has morphed into, but it continues to be a practice in their culture. We, I think we buy trailers and motorhomes, and we can get outdoors and get put to, together with the Creator in His creation with our own form of Sukkot. So that's the booth, the festival of booths. Then there, so it was to illustrate this wandering in the wilderness. The ref- references in there are Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, and in each of those, there's a fair description of what is to go on. Then there's, ah, here it is. This is the mistake I made. This is the giving of the law. No, that's actually part of Pentecost. My mistake shouldn't be in there, Exodus 20. The, the giving of the law came before it, and then uh, Sukkot. I, I went looking for this, that line, and I didn't see it this morning. Uh, anyway, tent of meeting was a tabernacle. Um, and in this, God was saying, I want to tabernacle with my people. Remember that throughout Scripture, there is one overarching theme. What is God's will as represented in Scripture? What is the one key thread that explains the great massive plan that God has underway, the cosmic event that's going on? You're going to think, well, it's the arrival of Jesus. No. Oh, really? Or it's um, the establishment of a kingdom. Yeah, kind of. Not really. It is to be their God and for them to be my people. This is the bedrock principle. This is the whole story of the canon. This is the thread that guides right through it. I mean, I I probably would have also said, well, it's to show us the love of God. Yeah, they're all okay answers. But the real reason is that God longs to be the God of his people and put these together. Well, that comes together in the word tabernacle. And so God had them build the tent of meeting. And you remember what happened when he built Solomon's temple? He said, I didn't really need a building. I didn't really need any of this. But for you, I'll let you build a building, and you better make it awfully pretty. No, no, (laughs) you can build a building. It'll be fine. Don't you know the heavens are my throne? The earth is my footstool. I want to dwell with the people. I want to tabernacle. After the exile, it was mentioned at least twice. I think it's mentioned more than that. But certainly in Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, which are sort of mirror passages, um, they began to celebrate the Sukkot or the Festival of Booze again. And that's when Ezra read the scriptures. And then in Zechariah, Toward the end of, the, of what we call the Old Testament, there is that amazing passage in Zechariah 14, and I'm going to close with that one, which to me begins to say this is one, a celebration that lasts for each, throughout eternity, or it will outlive eternity. Then there's Jesus, whom John referred to as the Word coming to dwell among us. He came to tabernacle with us. Sukkot to tabernacle here. And we are, according to Pauline theologies, temples of the Holy Spirit. Which is why I I, I had intended to build into the dialogue and then forgot that little line. Um, But 
Um, you know, I, w- I was going to have the, the disciples say, I mean, even the temple has been desecrated. Anybody can now look into the Holy of Holies. And I think Jesus said, would have said, exactly. Exactly. And cracks in the, in the, in the temple, Herod's temple, not a big deal. Because he wants to tabernacle with us in each of our hearts. And this is the objective of Scripture, is to show that to us. Okay, that's the Festival of Booze, kind of recapped. Then there's the Festival of Ingathering, the Harvest. It is the fall. It is a fall festival. It's usually September, October. And uh, so this is the time when they have now celebrated this ingathering, and it's the time when they begin praying for rains for the next year. So that's part of the festival of the drawing water. And then there's the Festival of Nations. Now, look at these numbers. The Festival of the Nations, it comes out in Numbers 29. Over the course of, of eight days, they are to sacrifice 70 bulls, starting with 13 on the first day, going down by one per day until then they drop on the last day for one. Now, the reason for 70 is at that time, it's understood, uh, that there were 70 nations. And so it was for all the nations of one bull for every nation in the world, in the, on earth. And the last one was for Israel, not the first. The last one was for Israel. And 15 rams and uh, an unbelievable number of lambs and goats. These are all parts of the ritual through that week, spaced out, one, to help feed all the people that came, and two, to symbolically commemorate. Now, Josephus said that during the time of Jesus, there would have been many, many lambs, more than this, sacrificed. Just for the fun of it, does anybody want to try and guess how many lambs? Now, keep this in mind. The Bethlehem shepherds were the ones who were responsible for these lambs. So I'm going to ask you, what is the number you think that they provided? And we're going to hear, hear a few numbers, and I'll repeat them so that we can all be embarrassed. Um, but the, the, they had to be, the, the, the rabbinic law was that they needed to come from within five miles of the temple. So you couldn't be bringing, to, you know, from up in Galilee your lamb. No, no, you had to come down here and get one of the Bethlehem lambs or others from around there. But the primary, you might say, shepherds, the ones who were looking after these flocks were in Bethlehem. So anybody want to guess how many lambs do you think they would sacrifice at Passover in one year? Keep going. 1,000 was it for those online. Okay, keep going. 5,000. 20,000. I, I heard a number over here. I hear 20,000. I, I, yeah, you got it. You got it. I just, I just can't speak that fast. <laughs> For those of you online, it's, he thinks I'm auctioning sheep. <laughs> Another number? Come on. 100,000. 100, okay, keep going. I'm making my point. Keep going. How many? Close. 260,000 was the estimated number of sheep. These shepherds in Bethlehem were not a small business. 260,000 was the number that Josephus estimated during this time. 
And this Passover was the Passover of all Passovers. It was the mother of all Passovers. It was the objective. It was the purpose of all of the Passovers in the past. There would not be a need for any more lambs to be sacrificed for this Passover. It had been done. It was done. That's why I wanted to start with that and tie it back to Jesus' birth, which was likely estimated to be in the season of Hanukkah, I think. Okay, carrying on. The water drawing ceremony. This is a really fun one. Okay, so in the wilderness, Moses spoke to the rock and he struck the rock. One time struck it and the second time he was supposed to speak to it. And I think in his irritation, he struck the rock. And uh, for that, you know, he didn't obey God and God did not allow him to enter the promised land. But twice God brought water out of a rock through Moses. In addition, at the early, early days, like the, about the third day into the wilderness, at the very beginning of this whole wandering time, um, God turned uh, bitter water into sweet when Moses took a stick and threw it into the water and it cleansed it, which, of course, was a symbol of the cross. This water coming, one, was important for provision. Two, it was essential. It was the bedrock of life. But three, why was it so important? Because it symbolized the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is essential for life spiritually. So the water drawing ceremony where all these things tied together. It's remembered today by the priest. Um, I'm not sure if they still do this today. But yeah, I think they do. Every day during Sukkot. Yep, they do. Every day during Sukkot, um, a priest goes down, probably one of the, the leading priests, goes down and draws water from the pool of Siloam, comes up and pours it on the altar with a, a jar of wine. The water, of course, is commemorating the water that God provided. And what they didn't realize in all of this was it was also symbolizing the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see. I'll prove that to you. And then they have a whole dance that goes from the pool of Siloam up to the altar where it will be poured out. And it's called the water drawing ceremony. And here you can see them dancing on their way up. They play the shofar or they blow the shofar and they um, play all kinds of instruments. They dance through the streets here. And this is every morning. John wrote about this many years later. Remember, John was likely the last book in the Bible that was written. So it might have been you know, I don't know, 80, 80 AD, uh, 50 years later when John wrote this. But John, in reflecting the events of Sukkot, took the whole of chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and probably 10 to describe what happened in that one week, the week that was just before when Jesus was um, crucified in Passover. Okay, so it would have been um, the, the last one before Passover that where he was sacrificed, or where he was crucified. John wrote, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Okay, so now this is the eighth day. On the last day, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, like in the desert, right? Okay. And then John explained. Remember, he's now 50 years later or something like that. Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so for all of us who want to be filled, I'm going to go back here and read this again. On the last day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, do we do special dances? Do we need to speak in tongues? Do we need to do all these different things? Do we need to, you know, do we need to perform? No. We need to come to Jesus. It is by coming to Jesus, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of him, out of his heart will flow, out of her, is her heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. John, many years later, finally understood. The penny fell into place, and he went, Aha! That's what was going on. That's why he said, Out of you will flow rivers of living water. And it was bedded in the events of the wandering in the wilderness. But it's part of every day. The, the point in that is, for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to come to Jesus every day. And out of us will flow the Holy Spirit in all of his works, the gifts of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit, the miracles that should come, that God wants to give through us in each of our lives. So if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. That, of course, is also reflected in Revelation, which is another book that John wrote. And he talks about the rivers flowing from under the threshold of the temple. Okay, again, we are those temples, and out of us will flow these rivers of living water. May also be true, uh, literally, of a new temple in a new Jerusalem, in a new earth that God recreates right here. The illumination ceremony is at the end of every day. Now, this was really quite some feat. I've read different descriptions of it, so I'm not sure which it is, but the most spectacular of it, so I'm going to give you that, is there were four posts put up in the, the one courtyard, the, the public courtyard. Four 75-foot tall posts. And on each of those posts were four arms, and on each arm was a bowl of olive oil, kosher olive oil. And into this, the, the priests took their old garments and they tore off, I'm not going to do it, their hem. You might be surprised what's under here. Um, uh, they tore off their hem and threw it in there as a wick, and then they lit the wick. In each bowl was 10 gallons of olive oil. Now, I don't know how they got that olive oil up there. This picture, if you look closely, you can see little people, men probably, 
climbing up to pour the olive oil into the bowls. I'm hoping instead they had a pulley system that they could lower those, fill it at the bottom, and then pull it 75 feet up into the air, or 70 feet up into the air. Either way, in this temple were these four posts. That's one, one version. Another is there's one post with four bowls on it. But it, one way or another, they had this 75-foot pole with four bowls hanging off it, or four posts hanging there. And they lit them. And it was said that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit by the light that came from the temple. And this was every night. When they came back from exile, they decided to reinstitute uh, Sukkot. And uh, they had only enough kosher oil for one night. This, there, there are two or three versions of this. One was tied to Hanukkah, Hanukkah and one was tied to Sukkot. Um, and there are probably others. But um, they, they filled it all. They decided, we'll light it on the first night. And then it burned all week. Uh, you know, not sure where the, the folklore and truth connect in there. But anyway, um, they reinstituted this um, custom, this comm commemoration. And that was the, to illustrate, of course, the light of the world. So this is still in John 8, following on John 7. This is still in on that last day, I'm assuming. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now, maybe he said it at the very beginning of the lighting, or maybe he said it as the lights were going out, as they were burning out, I don't know. But he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it was from this light that people could see the testimony of the Jewish people on the Temple Mount. Sukkot is all about thanksgiving. It is a celebration of great joy. He who has not seen the water drawing ceremony has never seen joy in his life. That's a quote from the Talmud. Isn't that interesting? If you, you, all the joy, all the parties you've ever been to, all the best times, best uh, amusement parks, you gotta see the water drawing ceremony if you're going to see what joy really is in life. The Jewish people say they have awe in Rosh Hashanah. They have regret in Yom Kippur. They have freedom on Passover. But Sukkot is pure joy. It is the season of our rejoicing. And so I want to encourage each of us to begin putting a week aside every year. This summer, we're going to be celebrating our centennial, as Mark mentioned. And uh, so it's July 13. I wanted to do a whole week, because that's kind of what Sukkot's supposed to be. And then we decided, well, okay, I don't think for us to get the point across, we need to do it for a whole week. But each of us should do this annually. I want to finish with reading from Zechariah. Chapter 14. So this is the very end of Zechariah. And it's called The Lord Comes and Reigns. It's talking about the day of the Lord. So now it's talking about the, after all of this, then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. There it is. 
If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. Now, do you think that's literal rain? Could be. I think it's talking about the Holy Spirit. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. It's kind of like, let me explain this really clearly. Even the Egyptians had better come up to celebrate Sukkot. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls at the front of the altar. And we're told in uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy that this will go on without end for all eternity. So, I like to play a game. I call it word association. Let me just give you a name of, a, of someone and then you tell me what you think is most interesting about what they said. Okay? Yeah. How about Isaiah? Isaiah. 